0: the misdeeds of the body, you will live because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Well, good morning.
1: I'm going to begin with a question for us to ponder this morning. And that is what does it look like to be led by the Spirit? What does it look like to be led by the Spirit? You see, we're in a dramatic age right now, what the Scriptures call the age of the Spirit. When Jesus walked on earth, He had the Spirit in Him. His presence was in that Spirit. His presence was in that physical body. But when He died and rose again, He ascended to heaven. And He chose to make His presence available today in the Holy Spirit. That Spirit is poured out on every believer so everyone who accepts Jesus receives that Holy Spirit, the very indwelling life of God Himself. That's what's so incredible about this age, that the Spirit Himself is present on earth in every believer. Isn't that terrific? Amen? Isn't that awesome? We have the Spirit in us. But... The task becomes then learning to live in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. But this is hard for us because we're not always sure what the voice of the Spirit sounds like, are we? Or what does it mean to depend on the Spirit? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? This is kind of a challenge for us because how do we know when it's the Spirit prompting us versus when it's just our own indigestion (laughs) or just ourselves? How do we know? And it can be confusing. I I know that I've thought that, well, if I'm led by the Spirit, I, I see a few examples in Scripture where the Spirit led Paul, for example, to go to a certain place or to do a certain thing. And so, I have thought at times that that being led by the Spirit means kind of having a built-in GPS unit. That, you know, you're walking along and and suddenly you hear this voice that says, you know, walk a hundred yards and then turn left. (laughs) And go 50 yards, turn right, and walk up to that person and say this. We sometimes think that the Spirit should lead us like that, that that's what means being led by the Spirit. Now, The Spirit can do that, but I think if we're honest, that's not really our experience most of the time, is it? The Spirit's more internal, and and so we wonder, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? I have also struggled and been confused, thinking that being led by the Spirit meant to have this emotional high. So if I'm really being led by the Spirit, I'm just going to be excited about God. No, those are good times, but, you know, our emotions go up and down and we're to be led by the spirit all the time. So, and in fact, our emotions that go up and down can be affected by all kinds of things. What we ate for dinner last night and our hormones or whatever, (laughs) you see, so if that's not being led by the spirit, what is, what does it mean to be led by the spirit? Well, in Romans 8, the passage we want to look at today, verses 12 through 25, Paul is anxious for the Romans and for us to understand more what it means to be led by the Spirit. He wants us to learn to live not by law or pressure or not by the flesh, which is natural for us, but to learn to live by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. So in this section, he helps us understand what we should experience if we are being led by the Spirit. And I've summarized the passage with three phrases, what it means to be led by the Spirit. And it's in your outline, radical holiness, confident sonship, and hopeful groaning. So let me pray, and then let's dig in to the passage together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have chosen to put your spirit, your very presence in us. We who are weak earthen vessels, cracked pots, and yet we contain something so glorious that it is your very life in us. So, Lord, as we look in this passage together, open our hearts, open our minds to understand and to believe what it means to be led by the spirit we pray in jesus name amen radical holiness to be led by the spirit means radical holiness verse 12 through 14 let me begin with verse 12 so then brethren paul writes we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh And in my translation, there's a little dash there. There is in the NIV, too. It's worded a little differently, but there's this dash. Paul begins and he says, Okay, guys, we're under obligation. But not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We're not obligated to the flesh. We don't have to live according to the flesh if we have the Spirit. We can put that to death. But notice the way he words this. It's very interesting. He says, We are under obligation not to the flesh. And then there's this dash like, okay, then what are we under obligation to? And you know what? Paul never finishes the sentence. He never tells us what we're obligated to. I think there's a good reason for that. Because if you're living by the Spirit, it's not obligation. It's not duty. It's not pressure. It's not... I've got to figure out what to do, and I've got to do it. It's not rule-keeping. Rather, it's relationship with the living God who indwells you, learning to listen to His voice, learning to walk with Him. So He says we're under obligation not to the flesh or to anything else. (laughs) We live in freedom in Christ in this new relationship. So He begins there. And he goes on to say this. We're not under obligation to the flesh. We don't have to live by that. For, he wants to explain this clearly to us. For, verse 13, if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now get this. He's saying, if you choose to live by flesh, give in to it. We can as believers... But if you do, you are going to experience spiritual death. So the only alternative is to put those deeds to death yourself. He's talking about warfare here, folks. He's saying with the flesh, it is warfare. It's either kill or be killed. You're standing there and the flesh is there and he's got a gun and he's going to shoot you down and he's going to make you experience spiritual death. That's what it's talking about here. I mean, we do experience physical death because of sin, but also spiritual death. You know when you give in to something you know you shouldn't? You give into the temptation, and you live by that flesh. You experience guilt, frustration, separation in your relationships, and all those things. That's the spiritual death he's talking about. He says, if you give in to the flesh, if you live by flesh, it might feel good for a moment, but it will kill you spiritually. The alternative is you kill the flesh. <laughs> we need to be ruthless. You know, this is not uh, this is not weak Christianity. We're talking about warfare here. It's robust. We're talking about Christians that are ruthless about putting to death those. Deeds of the body, when you feel that temptation, and we all do because the evil one does suggest things to us, and that temptation is not sin, but it's what you do with it if you choose to give into it. It will always kill your spiritual life, it will break down your faith in Christ, and it will overwhelm you with guilt and frustration. So really what he's saying here practically is when you get a temptation, maybe to hang on to resentment, okay? This person's hurt you, and and you just like feeling angry. It feels good for a while, right? So instead of forgiving and getting rid of that forever and saying, I will not give in to that resentment, I will not give in to that unforgiveness, you go, you know what? It just feels good, so I'm going to keep it under the bed. And every once in a while when I don't when I'm feeling kind of down or frustrated or whatever, I'm going to pull that out and just enjoy it for a while. He says when you do that, you experience spiritual death. But instead, you're to kill the misdeeds of the body, which means you take that out and you shoot it. (laughs) And then you take the remnants to the dump so it's not even in your house anymore. You you kill the misdeeds of the body. You decide to get rid of it. Let me give you another example. According to all the statistics that I've read, roughly 50% of Christian men have a significant struggle with pornography. That's sobering. That means a lot of you struggle with that. A lot of us. Struggle with that. Do you kill the misdeeds of the body? Or do you keep it around so you can kind of give in when you feel like it? I don't trust my flesh. I don't think we should trust our flesh. So for me to kill the misdeeds of the body in that particular area has been I I do what I can to, to make no access to my heart or to my home. So, my home computer. What have I done? I have put a filter on there that filters out any questionable material. But, you know, that's not necessarily perfect. So I've also put accountability software on our home computer so that me or anybody else who uses the computer, any questionable sites that that computer goes to gets sent, a report gets sent to two accountability partners, so they will know if any questionable sites have been gone to on that computer. Not only that, but we keep the computer in a public room, in a room that is easily accessible so that people can always see what, if you're on the internet, what you're looking at. And something else we've done that Part of the reason, and again, this is not judgment on anybody else. You have to make your own choices what, for you, you need to do to kill the deeds of the flesh. But we don't have cable at our house. Because, partly because, it's just, there's questionable things on there at times. And so for us, we don't want it in the house. We do not want access in our house. I don't know what it is for you, but to kill the deeds of the body. Means to do what it takes to get rid of access to the things that tempt you. You will still be tempted, but you need to kill it. You need to shoot it. You need to get rid of it. Whatever it might be, whatever your form of temptation is, it might be simply unforgiveness and resentment. It might be a struggle with food, so you need to set boundaries somehow with food that becomes something that leads to spiritual death for you, it's a misdeed of the body for you, whatever your addiction struggle might be, and in our fallenness we all have addiction struggles, whatever it might be, are you doing what you can to kill the misdeeds of the body? To go hunting and shoot it dead so it has no more access to your heart or your mind. Again, you will be tempted, but that's what the Spirit will lead you to do. The Spirit, Paul says, will lead you to kill the misdeeds of the body, to do what you can to be set free from that, so that you can begin to experience the fullness of life in Christ. The fullness of being a child of God. Fullness of being His. Because those misdeeds of the body will kill you, he says. Ray Stedman, who's one of my mentors at Peninsula Bible Church years ago, traveled all around. He had a ministry of, of speaking all over the U.S. and all over the world. I remember him saying how he was at a conference that he was speaking at in a particular town in the Midwest, and a woman came on to him there. Well, he decided he needed to kill that misdeed. He needed to flee from that. And he determined at that point he would never speak at that town again. And as far as I know, he never did. Simply because he wanted to avoid any opportunity or any access. He wanted to kill the deeds of the flesh so that he could be free to enjoy life in the Spirit. So that's what the Spirit will lead you to do. The Spirit will lead you to put off the old to kill those misdeeds, to not play with it, not hide it under the bed, but to take it out, shoot it, and bury it forever. Then secondly, Paul goes on to talk about confident sonship, that the Spirit will lead you to enjoy confidently the fact that we are sons and daughters of the living King. He says this, verse 14 and following, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And let me stop there for a moment. When he says sons of God, just understand it's generic. He's talking about sons and daughters. But he in particular says we, both men and women, are sons of God. And the reason he says that is because obviously in their culture, first century culture, the Boys, the sons, were the privileged ones who received the full rights that the father offered, who had free access to everything the father had, who had the privileged position of receiving the inheritance. Everything that the father had would be passed on to the sons. And so what he's saying is if you have Jesus in you, if you have the Spirit in you, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are in a privileged position as a son or daughter of the living God. There is no male or female in the church. We're all sons in this sense. So it goes on, verse 15, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. See, what the spirit does is he will lead us to begin to enjoy being the child of the living God, to come into his presence, to realize we don't have a spirit of slavery, he says, but a spirit of adoption. What's he talking about? What's the contrast? Spirit of slavery is, in those days, if you were a slave of the the master of the house, you listened to him and you did what he told you to do. And if you failed to carry out what you were supposed to do, you were punished. Why? Because you were a slave. You didn't have rights. You were owned by that master, and you had to do what he told you to do. And that's how many of us have lived our Christian life. We, we come to the master and we go, what do you need me to do? And I'm going to try hard to do the right thing. And we live in a spirit of fear. And Paul says, no, what you've received when you receive the spirit is you've received a spirit of adoption as sons. That word adoption is a marvelous one in the Roman world, Roman empire. When a father of a family, when the leader of a family adopted a son, probably because he couldn't have his own, he said, I am choosing you purposefully because you are the one I want to spend time with. You are the one I want to mentor. You are the one I love. You are the one I want to give the full rights and privileges of a son. To be adopted into the family was to be chosen specifically to be loved by that father. And you were treated completely, fully, as one who was born as a son. And that's exactly what the Heavenly Father does with us. He looks at us. He sees all that we are, our weaknesses, our struggles. He knows all that. And He says, I choose you. I choose you because I want you to be in my home. I want to spend time with you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to have a personal relationship with you. And I want to bless you from now through eternity forever with all the rights and privileges of a son that was born to me, Jesus himself. And he says, you have access to everything that Jesus has access to. Isn't that a marvelous thing? So we've received that spirit of adoption so we can have a confident sonship, a a, a confidence that we can come into his presence and know that he chose us and loved us deeply. So He wants us, the Spirit leads us to come into His presence and talk to Him and pray to Him, Abba, Father, to cry out to Him, I need You, I, I love You, I, I'm, I'm feeling lost, I'm feeling hurt, I'm feeling needy, I'm in pain, I, I need Your encouragement, I need to come to Him and cry out, Daddy, I need You, constantly, to live in that constant relationship in the presence of our loving Father. Now, I've talked to a number of believers who have said things like, but this whole concept of God as Father is really hard for me because my father was not a good father. My earthly father was harsh or cruel or abusive. And therefore, I just can't trust God as Father. Well, let me say, I believe you can. Your father may have been a poor example of who our Heavenly Father is, or he may have been a good example. Probably somewhat, most every father's a mixture of the two. But it can still lead you to trust your Heavenly Father more. Let me just give you an example with my father. My father was a mixture. He was pretty distant from me. I longed for more from him. He never really asked about what was going on in my life, my friends, what I was thinking. He, he was just distant in my life. And that created some hurt and some longing for me to have a father that cared and wanted personal relationship with me and wanted to be involved in every area of my life. And that has led me To trust my Heavenly Father. I found that kind of Father. You see, so even if your Father was bad, it can lead to a deeper longing that leads you to trust your Heavenly Father as the one you've longed for, you've wanted all your life, and you finally have in your Heavenly Father. My dad was especially loved us, I think, as a good provider. He made sure our material needs were met all the time and and that was part of how He committed to love us. It's a wonderful thing. That was how He knew to love us. And that has prompted me as I've experienced that Father as provider to have a sense of, you know, my Heavenly Father is a provider even more fully and more deeply in every way He's promised to care for me and I can rest in His care. So whether your father was A good example or a bad example, the Lord wants to use it. The Spirit wants to lead you to trust your Heavenly Father as the one who fulfills what you were really longing for all along. So the passage goes on to say this, verse 16 through 18, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So it says there, verse 16, that the Spirit prompts us to begin to trust him as a father, as one who wants to be intimate with us and spend time with us, and love us well that we can boldly approach his throne at any time not with the fear of a slave but as a son with all the rights and privileges of a son and know that he'll hold us and love us and care for us and wants to be with us so what does this look like this sonship this confident sonship Things like personal intimacy, a close, caring relationship, where we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, I need you. There's a promise of protection. Well, here, he'll care for us, hold our hand, and be with us in those difficult, scary times. There's a legal status that says, I have adopted you as my child You have full rights under the law. You are the heir of my estate. We're joint heirs with Christ so that everything that God wants to give to Jesus, which is everything, he wants to give to us as well. And we share in that. We are co-heirs with him. We ultimately will inherit glory, the passage says. And as the passage goes on, we will inherit the new heavens and the earth and new earth. We will reign with Christ on earth. Isn't that mind-boggling? We will reign with Him. We will inherit a new heavens and new earth that is perfect. That's part of our sonship. And we will inherit new bodies that are righteous completely so we won't have the struggle we have anymore. But it says there's a path we walk to get there. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we might be glorified with him as well. We walk the path that Jesus walked. He suffered and was glorified. As the Father's sons, he's called us to walk that same path, suffering, so that we may be glorified with him. But notice it says we suffer with him. Jesus suffers with us, in us, through the Holy Spirit, So we have his strength, his encouragement every step of the way as we suffer in life, knowing that what's coming is glorious, is marvelous. And that's what he goes on to talk about now is that the Spirit will lead you not only to radical holiness, holiness, putting off the old, and confident sonship, delighting in the fact we're sons of God and we can enjoy that and delight in his presence. But it also will lead us to a hopeful groaning, a longing for the future. Verse 19 through 22. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So first Paul goes to creation. And think with me for a minute. Why is creation such a contradiction? Have you noticed that? creation is beautiful there are incredible forests and lakes and rivers and beauty that stirs the soul and canyons and and the sawtooth mountains and the beauty of of the world that god's created it is incredibly beautiful and at the same time it's incredibly messed up <laughs> there are hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes. This week there were tornadoes in the Midwest and 50 plus people were killed. There are horrible things like mosquitoes and wasps. And all of creation is subject to death. Have you noticed that? How things look good, even human beings or every plant or every animal begins to grow and be healthy and there's life and then all of a sudden there's a turning towards death and our lives start to decline from there on and our bodies begin to break down and it's true in all of living matter in creation. But notice what Paul says. How did that happen? Is it evolutionary? Is it just the way it is? No, it says all of creation was made perfect to go on living forever But it was subject to corruption. What physicists call the second law of thermodynamics, entropy. Everything's running down. That our bodies are breaking down. It was subject to corruption when Adam and Eve fell. When they sinned. Remember back in Genesis 3, what God told Adam? He said, because you have disobeyed me with toil, And tears you will work the land, and it will grow thorns and thistles more easily than healthy crops. And that's been true ever since. It was subject to corruption by God because all of creation was tied to our spiritual state. And it still is. And that's why it says all of creation groans now, eagerly awaiting. The revealing of the sons of God. All of creation eagerly awaits, cannot wait to be set free from its corruption, and it will be set free when we receive our new bodies. When Jesus returns and creates a new heavens and new earth, it will be a creation without mosquitoes. Amen? No disease, no colds or flu. No death. There's a word there where it says the eager expectation of the creation. That word there really means to crane your neck and look for what's coming. Do you realize all of creation is watching us? And it's longing for us to be set free. Like when you're at the airport and you're watching people and they're waiting for their loved one to come through those doors because you can't go back there anymore, you know, to... To the gates. And so you're waiting and you're craning your neck. And is this the flight? Are they coming now? Is this them? And they cannot wait for their loved one to come. It says creation is doing that very thing right now, longing to be set free. And it will be set free when we receive the redemption of our bodies. So there's this hopeful groaning of creation that someday winter will end. Amen? <laughs> you ready? I am. <laughs> this hopeful longing that, yes, things will be set right. And Paul says it's like giving birth. It's this pain in between as creation waits and waits, and it's painful, but there's this hope that better is coming, that the new creation is coming, that, that God's church, His people, will come in all their glory, And when we are revealed in all our glory, all of creation will be set free as well because it's tied to our spiritual state. Now he goes on in the last few verses in this section to talk about how we groan as well. We live in this hopeful groaning. Verse 23, And not only this, not only creation, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Paul is saying we're longing ourselves for that new country, that new place. A place where there is no more entra- entropy, no more breakdown, no more corruption, no more battling with the flesh, where we will be fully righteous inside and out. But in the meantime, the Spirit leads us to groan. And it says we do that because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. It's a hopeful groaning. It's been a long winter, it has. But the last couple days, there's been sunshine breaking through and warmer days. Doesn't that increase your hope? But, but you're not totally satisfied. You're not going, ah, oh, finally it's here. No, it's not here. But it increases the hope. It's coming. And he says the Holy Spirit is our first fruit because the Holy Spirit is in us. He prompts us and says, ah, hope. You're groaning for more. Nothing in this life fully satisfies Summer isn't here yet, but the Spirit in you prompts you, leads you to hope for more. It helps you not be satisfied with anything on earth, but to long and groan for what is coming. C.S. Lewis, I really like the way he describes this new heavens and new earth and what it will be like for us and what we long for in uh, the last battle in the Narnia Tales, the last book. And he talks about how they've gone through the stable door and and the creatures there have tasted of this new world. And they've tasted some fruit, actually, off a tree. And it says, what was the fruit like? Unfortunately, no one can describe a taste. All I can say that, compared with those fruits, the freshest grapefruit you've ever eaten was dull, the juiciest orange was dry... And the most melting pear was hard and woody, and the sweetest wild strawberry was sour. And there were no seeds, (laughs) no stones or pits, and no wasps. (laughs) If you had once eaten that fruit, all the nicest things in this world would taste like medicines after it. That's just a picture of bit. To awaken in our hearts that longing for heaven, that longing for more. So we groan as well. We, we have the sense that we're not home yet. We long to be home, but we will be home someday. And so it leaves us in a state of hopeful groaning. The Spirit leads us to that. So we'll be more and more set free from the things of this world. It's like traveling to another country. If you've traveled and you go, wow, this is really interesting. But after a while, you begin to feel like, yeah, but I want to go home. I want to go home. This is not home. I miss home. Well, that's what being led by the Spirit is like. You you begin to realize this is not really home. This world is not my home. It doesn't have what I was built for. And so it creates this hopeful longing, and that's what the Spirit does. So what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Well, Paul's given us three pictures here. It's to kill the deeds of the flesh. In the past, Put those away because that's just a distraction from the joy that's coming. So the Spirit will lead you to kill the deeds of the flesh. Just get rid of them. Put them out. Get rid of them. That's a process. It's a lifelong process. It doesn't happen all at once, but that's what the Spirit will lead you to do. Secondly, the Spirit will lead you to enjoy confidently your sonship to come into His presence and cry out to Him, Daddy, I want to be with you. Daddy, I love you. And, And to enter into His presence, to pray, to talk with Him, to enjoy how much He loves you. And the Spirit will lead you to long for heaven evermore. This hopeful groaning that it's coming and this world is not my home, it's not enough, it's not what I want, what I long for is ahead, but... I'm confident it is coming. I want to end with just a quote again from the last battle by C.S. Lewis, where it talks about what the new Narnia, the new heavens and earth new heavens and new earth was like, and he says this. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was this. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. (laughs) If you ever get there, you'll know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed, and then he cried out, I've come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life. Though I never knew it till now, the reason why we loved the old Narnia so much is that it looked a little bit like this. The reason we love this world is it's just a taste of what's to come. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you in your mercy and grace have chosen to plant your very life in us. And Lord, we want to be led by your Spirit. We want to follow you. We want to depend on you. And we pray that you would open up our hearts to enjoy all that we have in you as your sons and your daughters. Help us to just put off the old stuff to kill it. To follow your spirit in enjoying you. And to follow your spirit in longing for our true home.
0: We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.